good. Well, it's good. It's good to be here to be able to share God's word with you. Um, as Pastor Eric said, my name is Jeremy Barahona. I'm one of the pastors here at the Brook, and as you can tell, or maybe you're you're wondering, we're really passionate about the mission of God in this church. Uh, we're really passionate about making Jesus known in the darkest of places. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, Pastor Eric often says this line. He says, we don't want to just grow in seeding compa- capacity. We want to grow in sending capacity. We want to see people sent out for the sake of the mission of God. And today, I want to tell you a little bit about our church planting journey um, because we want to be a church planting church um, as as the Brook family. And if if you don't know, um, my wife and I recently have sensed a call uh, to to go plant the church in West Palm Beach, Florida. And we're really, really excited about that. And maybe you're here and you're like, that sounds really random. Why West Palm Beach, Florida? Where, where is that? It's, it's an hour north of Miami, Florida. And the connection is that I actually grew up minutes away from there. And specifically, my wife and I, we're, we're looking to plant the church in the very area that uh, the church that I grew up in was in. It's, it's an area called Southwest West Palm Beach. And I want to tell you um, our church planting journey. Is that okay? Can I tell you a little bit about that? It was about a few years ago, I want to say about four, four or three years ago, I was sitting at the Starbucks at the Brickyard. I was sitting there, and I came across this article that really stirred up my heart. It, it was an article that, that was titled this, Churchless Cities, Where Does Your City Rank? To my surprise... West Palm Beach, the the area where I grew up, ranked as the number one never church city in America in 2015. By never church, the Barna Group, which is this group um, that did this research, um, they mean mean that it had the most amount of people that had never uh, regularly attended a church service. This broke my heart. I kind of felt like Nehemiah. If you ever read uh, the story of Nehemiah in the Bible, you see how he was brokenhearted for the city of Jerusalem because the the city walls were torn down and vulnerable. People discouraged. I felt like that from my own city, from afar. I I was living here in Chicago. I've been in Chicago for about 13 or 14 years. It'll be in, in August. But I was brokenhearted for that. But, but I was even more brokenhearted because the church is called to be the ultimate witness of Jesus in every city and in every people group, to every people group. And if people aren't connected to the church, then we can only assume that people aren't seeing Jesus the way that they should. This broke my heart broke my heart because this this wasn't just a stat for me this was a description of the people that I'm connected to that when I pick up the phone I call to and and I just hear just just how churchless sometimes that area could be that's what that meant for me so as I read that article 
it set me on a journey to discover if God was calling my wife and I to go back to the very place that raised me in order to throw up our white flag and say, Jesus, send us and make your light known. And I want to anchor this story. I want to tell you a little bit about that. I want to anchor our time in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 9 through 13. Uh, the Gospel of John is the fourth book in the New Testament. And we're going to be, uh, again, in, in chapter 1, verse 9. And as you turn there, this is written by one of Jesus' disciples, not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle, one of Jesus's closest uh, or members of, the, of his closest circle. And what we're about to read is his prologue, his introduction uh, to his gospel, to, to the biography of Jesus. And if you could stand with me, if you're able to, why don't you look at John chapter 1 verse 9 through 13. It says this, the true light which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word because your word is true. There is no error in your word. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's authoritative. It's the final authority. Father, and when that touches our lives, it teaches us who you are. And how we should live. So, Father, I pray that today you would use your word to convict us, to teach us, to show us how you're calling us to be on mission. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This passage tells us or helps us understand who is Jesus? And that's a very important question. If we're going to be planting churches or we're going to be on mission, we need to know who is Jesus because he is the object. He is the subject of everything that we do. And the first thing that this passage teaches us is that Jesus is the true light there in verse 9. Do you see that? Jesus is the truth light, true, true light. When verse 9 mentions this, it's a reference to Jesus Christ and light. Here is used as a metaphor. One commentary notes that script in scripture, the metaphor of light is the place of security, deliverance from evil, holiness, which means to be separated from wickedness. It's, it's, it's a metaphor for the revelation from God and the truth. And whenever these qualities are present in the world, the Bible shows us that these qualities ultimately come from God and only God. So to say that Jesus Christ is the true light tells us two important features about who Jesus is. And this is really, really important because it anchors every single thing that we do. And the first thing that this tells us is that Jesus is the God man. 
In verses 1 through 3, the apostle John, he established that Jesus is God, the creator, the agent of creation. And then when we pick up in verse 9, here in, in, in the text that we're looking at specifically, he makes it a point to say that while Jesus was God, he became human. And by calling him the true light, he's saying that he was the perfect human. That there was no flaw in Jesus. He was all truthful. He was holy. He was just. He was all powerful. And all goodness was found in Jesus. The second thing that this phrase true light tells us is that Jesus became a human in order to enlighten everyone. Look look at the text right there in verse 9. It says, the true light which gives light to everyone. You want to underline that. You want to highlight that. You want to circle that because that's important. It says, which gives the light to everyone was coming into the world. In other words, this verse is a purpose statement. This tells us why Jesus came to the world. It's one that says that Jesus embodied the light in his humanity in order to reveal who God was to humanity. So if you're sitting here today and you want to know who God is, then we need to look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is because Jesus is God. And that's why he came into this world. And when I think about this, I think about a lady who helped raise me. Her name was Hermana Jenny. She was from Puerto Rico. Any Puerto Ricans in the house? Man, cool, cool. I love, I love, I love my Puerto Rican people. But this, 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 this lady, Hermana Jenny, she, she was actually instrumental in bringing me to faith. She, she worked in what, what is equivalent to what we have called the Brook Kids here at the Brook. She worked in one of those type of ministries growing up. And she was faithful about teaching me God's word, helping me memorize scripture. Every time she would see me, she would just speak life into me and remember that I have a calling on my life. And when I was 13 years old at a small Spanish-speaking church on the southwest side of West Palm Beach, I heard a clear gospel presentation. I heard the message about the true light. And I just remembered the sayings of people like Hermana Jenny, and that message just resonated with me, and I gave my life to Christ. And my life was never the same. But see, what Hermana Jenny was doing was bigger than just training me. She was actually part of a movement. In the 90s, there was a a group of Latinos that began to migrate to West Palm Beach, Florida. They're from places like Puerto Rico, Cuba, Ecuador, El Salvador, Guatemala. They gave up everything in order to come to the city, and they were passionate about planting churches. And my parents were one of these families. They used all their gifts, all their resources in order to help start churches that brought the light to this broken city in this broken part of town. And it was there that we just see Jesus, we just saw Jesus begin to stir people up to see him for who he really was and to begin a lifelong journey with him to eternity, for eternity. 
And this is what my wife and I feel we're called to do, to continue the mission to these new generations. Because there's a lot of new generations that don't know Jesus. So we really see our call back to West Palm Beach as part of that greater narrative. We're not coming here as people who say, we're the first ones to to, to be here because God only works through us. No, actually God has included us as part of that narrative. And that's important to note. But going back to our text, there's another unique attribute about Jesus's light that is compelling. What's unique about Jesus's experience is that as a human, Jesus was not only God, but Jesus was relatable. People can relate to the human experience of the true light. If you read the Bible extensively, you'll see that the Bible assumes that God is the creator of the universe. Meaning that the universe is not God like some seem to think. The universe is not what created us. The Bible assumes that God created the universe. He's separate from the universe. He's over the universe. And to reemphasize this idea and to identify God the creator as Jesus, the agent of creation, John in verse 10, look at it. It says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet, this is important, the world or people did not know him. Jesus, the agent of creation, he came in the first century to the, to the region of Judea. And today on this Palm Sunday, we, we celebrate Jesus going into Jerusalem where people glorified him as God because of his works in his word. And that just reminds us that Jesus, he became human and he became part of history. Yet what's sad about this text is that the world did not know him, which, which that is, is, is this, this idea that the world, they, they knew about him, but they didn't experience him for who he was. They didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. But to make matters worse, Jesus was even rejected by the people you would have thought would welcome him. Verse 11, look at verse 11. It says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The phrase, his own people, refers to the Jewish people. Jesus being God, when he became flesh, he was Jewish. And it was prophesied to the Jews that the Savior of the world would come from them and that the Savior would be from a kingly lineage. We know this because the entire Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, pointed to this expectation. Yet there were many of his fellow Jews who knew a lot of facts about Jesus who didn't want a personal relationship with Jesus. They rejected him. This aspect of Jesus being rejected by his own people relates to the experience of many Latinos and Latinas in West Palm. That's why we're going back to the southwest part of the city, Lord willing, because there's a lot of Latinos there. 
2019, my wife and I, we, we began to take some trips to, to West Palm. And my wife, she began to note something really interesting. She began to note that many of the Latinos that we were talking to, they felt rejected by society as a whole and in the church in particular. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me unpack that for you. Many of the Latinos that we were encountering, a lot of who are my family and friends, they felt like in majority Caucasian churches, they didn't feel exactly like they fit in or felt a, a sense of rejection because part of their Latino heritage was, wasn't necessarily welcome there, culturally speaking. But then on the other side, in, in the first generation immigrant uh, churches of their, of their parents, they didn't feel quite accepted there either because they were U.S. born or U.S. raised and they were just different from their parents. It's almost as if they, they didn't have a home, spiritually speaking. And this began to really stir our hearts to say, God, this can't be. This can't be because our people, they need a witness of you too that's faithful. And what we were seeing in West Palm is what one journalist, his name is Ed Morales, calls living in the hyphen. This means that Latinos and Latinas are bicultural, culturally like their parents, and also embrace their U.S. culture. And when Latinos embrace the whole of who they are, sometimes that could feel isolating. Maybe you're Latino here today and you, feel, you felt that sense of isolation that you don't quite fit in. You kind of feel rejected by both sides of the coin. Man, I could say that's been my experience in, in a large part of my life. But you know what's sad about this? And this is what stirred us. Is that Living in the hyphen or being bicultural, embracing all that you are, sometimes affects the way you see God. It affects the way you see your story. And it also affects the way you see society as a whole. Some that I'm even connected have abandoned the faith completely. And this has contributed to it. You know, the, the Pew Research Center is another uh, a research arm. They predict that Latinos and Latinas will be the majority population by 2050 in the U.S. And if this sense of isolation continues along with the population growth, then areas like southwest West Palm Beach need to see the light of Jesus. And we believe that Jesus' own experience of being rejected can serve as a common ground to introduce the whole of who Jesus is to Latinos and Latinas. That's how we believe God has called us back. But as we've considered this reality, we've had to ask ourselves, what assurance do we have that Jesus could transform a people group and specifically this people group that we're seeking to reach. What, what assurance do we have? I mean, we just read in the text that his own people rejected him, and, and we're not naive. We're not going there saying, oh, yeah, everybody's going to welcome us with open arms. Sadly, 
Sometimes the church has such a bad reputation in society that the last thing people ask for is the church. So what assurance do we have that Jesus could actually transform people's lives in areas like Southwest West Palm? Well, the good news is found in what we see in this text. But before I go there, the Bible is clear that humans are innately opposed to God. Let me impact that for you. In Psalm 51.5, King David says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You see, sin offends God. And here King David, he's saying that we were all born sinners. Word to J. Cole. Ask your kids about who that is if you don't know who that is. He said that. But the Bible actually said that first. I'm just saying. But Romans 8, 7 through 8 says this. It says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So in light of what the text says or what the Bible says, humans are completely helpless to become children of God. And that's really bad news if we don't have Jesus. But look at verse 12 in John. Verse 12 tells us that Jesus enables believers to become children of God. It says, but to all. You want to underline that. You want to circle that. You want to highlight that. That's really important. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When a musical artist signs a record contract, that contract authorizes the right for that artist to become part of that record label. And in the same way, this, this, this text carries that idea. When someone believes in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ authorizes that person to become part of the family of God. The only way to God is through Jesus. So what does someone need to believe about Jesus in order to be authorized as a child of God? What's this? You must believe that Jesus Christ is the God-man who died on the cross for your sins and resurrected from the grave in order to offer you eternal life. And this faith is not merely one that's one of lip service. It's one that's expressed by your obedience to Jesus. Which is to say, if you don't obey Jesus, if you don't follow Jesus, then you really need to check. Do you really believe that Jesus died for you and raised from the grave? So when this happens, what does God's word say to us? Verse 12 again says that all who put their faith in Jesus are born again. Verse 13 tells us a little bit more about what this means. It tells us something important about this new birth. It says that children of God are not born of blood, will of the flesh, or will of man. Do you see that in verse 13? What does that mean? It means that children of God aren't born from human descent. That's blood. They're not born of God. And let me backtrack a little bit. This means that people aren't born children of God. 
It also says will of the flesh. People aren't born of will of the flesh. What does that mean? That means that people aren't born of God. They're not born children of God out of personal desire or motivation. And then it also says in the text that we're not born of the will of man, which is in a speaking to lineage or family line. When someone is born of God, that person is considered born again spiritually because God's spirit drew them to Jesus. And the text says again that this is for all who believe. When I think about this, I think about my cousin Josh. Recently, I was in Florida in January with my wife. And uh, to be honest, I was just discouraged. I was discouraged because I was like, Lord, how, how are we going to do this? What is this going to look like? Why us? Could we really do it? How are we going to support our family? How, you know, all of these questions. And on the last day, we were literally about to catch our flight back to Chicago. My cousin Josh and his wife, they met up with us. And I remember my cousin Josh just encouraging me. He's like, hey, man, God is with you. And if God is calling you, don't let anything hold you back. But see, see, that encourages me because it reminded me of Josh's story. See, years ago, a few years ago, actually, my cousin, he didn't know Jesus. My cousin was foreign born. He's, he, he fits the profile of the Southwest community. He was foreign born. He was born in Ecuador. Any Ecuadorians in the house or am I alone? Okay, yeah, I think, I think I'm alone on that one. But I love Puerto Rico. Ecuador, Puerto Rico coalition, yes. My cousin was born in Ecuador, but he was raised in West Palm Beach. And, and he loves Ecuador, but he loves West Palm Beach to the point where he has a 561 tattoo on him that he wears proudly. And if you don't know, that's, that's the area code. So if you ever get a text from me and see the five, six, one, you know it's from that area. And, and, you know, he grew up in the church somewhat, but it was interesting. His church experience, it, it, it affirmed who he was as a person, his identity, his Latinidad. But it didn't necessarily speak to his experience outside of the church. And for many years, he didn't know Jesus. And that contributed to that. And we as a family, we were intentional about sharing the gospel to, with, to him, praying for him. I remember one time I, I, just, I just heard about what was going on in his life. And it, it, just, it just broke me down to see the, the road that my cousin was going on. And then he hit rock bottom. And it was there where the gospel began to come to mind. And he gave his life to Jesus. And the first thing that he did was go to the very people that looked like him, who shared in his experience, who dressed like him, who talked like him, but who knew Jesus to teach him what it meant to grow in Christ. He grew, he continues to grow, and here I am in 2020 or 2021 in January 
And God uses him to speak life into me and my wife. Yeah. This encouraged me because it reminded me of two things. One, it reminded me that Jesus is still in the business of changing people's lives. Secondly, it reminded me that Jesus uses our commonalities in order to bring people to Christ. Jesus doesn't say, check your culture, check where you come from, check all that you are at the door when you come, become saved. No, Jesus uses that. He redeems that in order to redeem other people who are just like you. And my cousin's a testament to that. And now he often checks on us to just talk about church planting, right, baby? It's crazy what God could do. But all of this begs a question. It begs the question, what responsibility do we have? When we read the text, when you hear testimonies like mine, what does God call you to do? Today, what is God calling you to do with your life? And the first thing is, if you haven't believed in the true light as the Lord of your life, it's a difference. The difference between Jesus being Lord and you knowing that Jesus existed. To be Lord means that he's your master. If, if you've never believed in the light, then today is the day of salvation. Romans 10.9 says this. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe that promise and follow Jesus. Secondly, all believers are responsible to bring the good news of the true light to the darkness. All of us. If you believe in Jesus, as Pastor Eric said before, you are called to be a missionary wherever you are. And the way that you do that is by looking for open doors to go on mission. Which is to say that God might be opening a a, a door for you to go on mission with us to help us start this church in West Palm Beach. It could be that God is calling you to leverage your job, leverage your skills, leverage your new season in, in your family life in order to move with us to plant the church. That might be the open door for mission that God is calling you to do. Or maybe God is calling you or he's opening the door for you here in Chicago to stay and be on mission. You know, one of the saddest things that I hear both in West Palm Beach and in Chicago is that many times we make decisions for our family. We make decisions for ourselves based on things like taxes in Illinois or the housing price or the schooling district or sometimes it's just more room rather than the open doors that God calls us to walk through here in the city or in places like West Palm Beach. And I'm not, I'm not hating here. I'm, I'm not hating on you. I'm not hating you for, for those things. All I'm saying is it an open door for mission. And if it is, God will supply everything that you need. 
Maybe that might be overseas. Actually, I want to speak to, to some, some, some youth here. I just feel led to, to, to share this with you. Maybe God is calling you to go to college in a place where there's a new church plant happening so that while you're in college, you could actually serve with that church plant. Parents, let's equip our, our, our kids to, to think like that. The open doors that God gives us are ultimately to make him known, not to make us comfortable. You know, I, let, me, let me say this, man. I, man, I, I just feel led to say this. For a long time, I didn't want to go to West Palm Beach. For, for you, that might, that might uh, sound crazy to you because you're from Chicago and you're like, man, West Palm Beach, there's, there's beaches out there, there's, there's clubs, it's, it's crazy, it's, it's popping. For me, that's not what West Palm Beach necessarily represents for me. It's, it's actually a lot of brokenness attached to it for me. I didn't want to go back. But God didn't call me to go comfortably. God called me to go with his spirit to make him known. And sometimes, even here in Chicago, that's, that's, that's the mindset that we need to have. That, that sometimes God calls us to be light in the places that are most broken to us. And if we believe in Jesus and we believe he's the light, then God can use us. God could use you. I want to affirm you in that and tell you that God could use you. But specifically, how do you discern what God is calling you to do? First thing is, pray for God to use all that you are to shine the light. Pray. The second thing, Preach the gospel and make disciples in the spaces you share with others. It's your neighborhood, with your families, with, um, with, your, with your co-workers. And then thirdly, pray with others by giving all that you have. That's your time, your talents, and your money to support the mission. When you do this, God shines his light. And God uses you with all that you are and all that you have for his glory. There's no greater purpose. There's, it's better to be in the will of God than safe somewhere else, comfortable somewhere else. So I just want to encourage you, church family, that our responsibility is to take the light of Jesus to the end of the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for my story, Lord. How many times I don't thank you for the ways that you've shaped my story, Lord. I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that you're sending us to West Palm Beach, Florida. Lord, I thank you for our church today. I thank you for the Brook initiative to be a church planting church. Lord, I want to pray, Father, that if, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that today they would believe in Jesus. And I pray that they would walk with you and grow in you. Lord, and for believers, I pray that you would stir us up to be your light in the darkest places. In Christ's name, amen. Fear, church, God says, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
God bless you, church family. We have booths set up for a slam. Uh, and Angelica's back there to talk about world relief. You want to get connected with one of those mission fields, Carrie Weiss is back there. So uh, Pastor Jeremy's back there to talk about their, their church plant. Everyone's back there, so you should be too, all right? We'll see you out there. God bless you.